Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. Uh, we will be joined for the whole entire show, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, who is also our resident energy expert. And our show today is going to cover a whole bunch of things, how the coronavirus has truly been not such a wonderful thing for any of us, of course, but also how it has really been impacting the oil and gas. Also, we're going to be covering what does this mean for you, um, and so it's a show you don't want to miss. But first, before we bring David on, I'd like to talk a little bit about what is going on here. Uh, it seems as though uh, within the past couple of weeks, uh, everything that we have known as a normal way of life has turned upside down on us. And I just hope that our listeners um, and, of course, the people in the energy sector, it's a hard time for all of us. But together, we can uh, make a difference and we can get through this. So I, I do hope that um, if you are feeling uh, a little upset, uh, angry, depressed, it's all normal. And you kind of know when, uh, if it's something that's abnormal in the way of being sad or scared, there are uh, programs, there's help, and I hope that our listeners will reach out uh, and, and seek help if they need to in this very trying time. But we will get through this. Also, um, I'd like to just quickly discuss the state of energy for you guys. Uh, many of you all know that we had a event planned in Corpus Christi for uh, April 13th, and that now has been reset to September 22nd. The same uh, keynote and panelists will be involved in the September 22nd event, which is the State of Energy in Corpus Christi. So if you purchase tickets or you're a sponsor, don't worry. We're going to be honoring that at that event. We just felt that it was uh, a good thing to push it back quite a few months to let everybody kind of regroup. Sure enough, when we come out of this horrific event, we're going to need time to put um, our businesses and ourselves back together as well. So we wanted to make sure we gave plenty of time. And uh, so September 22nd is our new scheduled date for State of Energy Corpus Christi, in which our keynote will be uh, Mike Howard of Howard Energy, the CEO of Howard Energy. It's definitely an event that's going to sell out. And you don't want to miss it. So for more information, tickets are still on sale. The sponsorship is still there. Please go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And now, let's welcome back David Blackman to this week's In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It is. You know, um, yesterday, uh, you know, it, it had been raining for quite some time, just making the situation seem far, far, far worse, because I'm a person that needs the sun. And uh, luckily, we've had a few really nice days that uh, have allowed, uh, I guess, our spirits to be lifted a little bit. So I would definitely say today's a great day here in Texas as well, uh, especially weather-wise. You know, I think uh, you and I have discussed that uh, while we are all in this confinement state, that uh, we're very concerned about, of course, an industry that's being hard hit, very hard hit, probably harder hit than the rest of the industries, if you can believe that. 
uh, kinds of, you know, the kinds of businesses that are out there. And, you know, I know um, as the editor of Shell Magazine, you know, everybody is just being displaced and having to stay home. And uh, we certainly don't want to add to anyone's uh, anxiety of having them come into the studio and, and uh, you know, create a show with them. So we've decided, you and I, that uh, for the next couple of weeks until we remain on lockdown, if you will, you're going to be with me and we're going to keep navigating through this ever-changing oil and gas scenario and helping our listeners understand what they can expect. And you being a 30-year veteran in the oil and gas sector, there is no one that that, uh, I feel more comfortable talking to and trying to navigate our, our, you know, this energy industry through. Um, Do you have uh, anything that you want to say on behalf of Shell Magazine? And of course, um, I'm sure you probably have a lot to say, which we're going to cover, but go ahead. Yeah, and so I, you know, and everyone out there listening, you know, I, I certainly feel your pain, share your pain. I have uh, lived through every major oil bust uh, in the U.S. since uh, the early 80s. Uh, that one was the worst we'd ever had back in 84 and 85. This one promises to be even deeper than that if it becomes a prolonged thing. Um, so I know it's it's, it's really tough. Um I remember watching the trans- transition of from prosperity to hardship in South Texas, where I grew up during those years, and, uh, and how the landscape changed and, and people's jobs changed. Businesses went out of business, and of course, we're, we're having uh, the government force businesses out of business right now due to the coronavirus, so it's a double whammy on everyone. Um, but, but we here at Shell Magazine will do everything we can to keep you informed of what's going on. Uh, starting Monday, I'm going to be posting a morning update on uh, with clips of, of 10 of the most important events in the industry from the previous day so that everyone can keep up to speed on that. And we'll do that every morning, uh, have them posted by 8 o'clock so that everyone will have a place they can go to just take a quick read and and get up to speed on everything happening that's going to be a Um, wonderful thing a wonderful thing and you know it's it's just one of the things we can do and and of course uh you're always welcome to comment on articles we post at shell magazine and we'll try to answer those as quickly as we can and and just do what we can to share information and make sure everyone uh, has the information they need to make good decisions around their jobs and and the industry in general. Yes, and you know, there's one thing about, I would say, the oil and gas uh, family, if you will. It always seems as though they rise uh, to the occasion, and maybe it's quite frankly because, you know, the booms and the bust, you just get really tough-skinned. Some of our friends at TMI Solution, um, they're a really dynamic service company for the oil and gas sector. They actually went to work and created a free website um, and this website actually is tracking the cases minute by minute, if you will, of the coronavirus. Um, so I encourage our listeners, if you want to follow where the c- cases are and the most updated information of where they're being linked to, go uh, visit our friends at TMI Solutions LLC. You can find them on Facebook. Um, and we have them linked at shellmag.com. So uh, I think all of us are really trying to do our part to make sure that everyone is aware of what's going on, uh, give them hope that we shall make it out of this too. Um, we might be a little thinner, or depending on how much you don't do exercise at home, a little larger, <laughs> but we're going to make it through. 
So let's get started. Um, I want to talk about the coronavirus and what, what, you know, over the past couple of uh, months, we have seen an oil collapse uh, or the, the markets in oil collapse. And we actually have not seen that since the 1980s. So talk to me a little bit about, first of all, the impact uh, on the energy industry by the coronavirus. Yeah, and, it, and it's been very substantial, obviously. You know, the, the, the public really became began becoming aware, unfortunately, uh, about the virus only in January. Uh, unfortunately, the Chinese government had decided to try to keep it all secret. Uh, since mid-November, when it first the first outbreak occurred in Wuhan province, and so in January we began to learn about it. We we began to see news about how the viral outbreak there in Wuhan was shutting down the Chinese economy, and that of course began quickly to have a major impact on global demand for crude oil. Uh, Chinese demand is the second largest user of crude oil uh, on Earth, next to the United States, and so. When their economy essentially began to shut down in January, that immediately began to create a very big glut of crude oil supply on the market Um, to such an extent that today we we have a glut today probably around 10 million barrels of oil a day, more production than supply. So when that happens with any commodity, any product, when you have too much supply and not enough demand, prices immediately begin to go down. So WTI started the year, West Texas Intermediate Price started the year around $58 a barrel. And by early March, uh, it had fallen all the way into the low 40s, thanks solely to the impacts of the coronavirus. And and of course, it, it, it continues to fall even today, although we've had somewhat of a, a, a bit of a recovery this week um, still it's it's you know well below thirty dollars a barrel and uh, with real no real prospects of, of recovering above that level anytime soon and you know I wonder um, you know it seemed as though from my uh, recollection that it was pretty much when the Chinese were having this outbreak it was also that period of time that OPEC plus was scheduled to meet. And I think that they were a little ahead of understanding the pandemic that was going on when they, you know, kind of were looking at oil prices and and what to do next. I think that if we were in a time where they could go back to that meeting right now uh, with what is going on worldwide, would they really have made the same decisions? So when we get back from break, I want to continue the discussion on the coronavirus and, of course, OPEC Plus and their decision. I want you to break that down for us as well so we can kind of understand the timelines of they kind of seem like the perfect storm to me, that they just kind of hit one right past each other, but they kind of landed on top of each other. And voila, now we have everyone confined to home and very, very little use of energy and purchases as well. And it has caused some issues. Um, You know, our good friends at the Port of Corpus Christi have been very um, vocal on what they're having to do um, to make sure that the community stays safe, but that the ships are starting to slow down too. And uh, so I wanted to get your opinion on that too. How does it affect those businesses as well? You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. 
When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, thank you for agreeing to do an entire show with me to help our audience understand what's going on with oil, oil prices, the collapse, and uh, the coronavirus. Before the break, um, I, I wanted to get back on the topic of OPEC Plus because it seems like to me they kind of passed right by each other, the coronavirus and OPEC plus, not really understanding that, you know, the countries, uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia, where we would be right now. What do you think was the impact, the major impact um, with OPEC plus and their exporting limitation deal? Well, that's right. And, you know, by the time OPEC plus had their meeting the first week of March, um, the coronavirus had already driven the price down uh, for West Texas Intermediate into the low 40s, around $43 a barrel uh, on the day that they held their meeting in Vienna. And, um, you know, the Saudis and, and the OPEC countries uh, on that Thursday, without Russia present, uh, made a recommendation to cut a, an additional 1.5 million barrels of oil supply from the market. And for all the countries involved in that agreement to share share that reduction, Russia's share would have been about 300,000 barrels a day. The Russian minister came back to Vienna uh, on that Friday, the next day, and informed the group that Russians, Russia's oil companies, he had been in Moscow speaking to the leaders of Rosneft and the other big Russian oil companies, and they just decided, you know, that they could not really agree to share any more reductions in their own exports. And so at that point, the agreement that had been in place for two and a half years and had been very successful in supporting a more healthy price for crude oil at a level where everyone could make money fell apart. And and the Saudis, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think in a fit of, of anger at the Russians, said, look, okay, if you're going to to break up this deal, then we're just going to increase our own production by about 2 million barrels a day uh, and flood the market with oil and intentionally drive the price down as low as we can in order to do the greatest amount of harm to not just the Russian oil companies, uh, but U.S. shale companies as well. 
And and so you just had this perfect storm of of the coronavirus already destroying demand in China and and all over the world, combined with now this, both the Saudis and the Russians and the other OPEC countries now are also going to increase their own production and try to grab market share. Uh, and the main entities that will be harmed by this, in addition to all of those countries uh, who will have the, the fire selling their own at low prices, will be the United States producers who have so significantly increased our own domestic production in recent years. It doesn't seem logical or reasonable. It's a completely irrational act. Yes. Particularly yes. on the point of Saudi Arabia. Stay away from the red buttons, guys. <laughs> you know, don't. Yeah, don't. because, you know, they have to fund their whole economy with oil right. income. And in order to break even, they need an $85 oil price. So they're just going to be bleeding money. Hemorrhaging money. Sovereign wealth yeah. fund, hemorrhaging money for the foreseeable future. And so from their perspective, it's completely irrational economic act, and it can only be explained as, as a fit of anger, yeah. which is really a bad way to conduct business. And meanwhile, though, you know, how are our companies responding? And what I mean by that is, you know, we've seen budgets slashed. But one thing that I just can't believe they didn't understand was how resilient North America energy producers are of First of all, pretty healthy balance sheets because of Wall Street funding and decisions they're making in low energy prices already. Um, they were, this is not fun, but I would just imagine they're in a better place to be able to respond quickly. Um, and it seems like that's what they're doing. So tell me, how are companies responding to this? Our companies, the United States companies. Well, they, they do respond quickly, and then luckily for many of the producers, not all of them, uh, they had very large percentages of their own equity production hedged at prices above $50. So, so they're going to continue to receive income thanks to those hedging deals uh, based on prices that existed before the coronavirus outbreak on, on at least a large percentage of their production. There were some producers that have almost virtually all of their production hedged for the rest of this year and even into 2021. Um, but that being said, there's still going to be major impacts to all of these companies from right. this price crash. Right. And, and so they're all moving right now to, to cut budgets uh, very significantly. We saw you know, this past week, we saw Chevron uh, and Shell both announce 20% cuts to their 2020 capital budgets. Uh, we've seen big... Permian Basin producers like Diamondback and Apache Corporation and EOG Resources and Noble Energy and just just right up and down that list of big producers out there and and in the Eagle Ford shale producers as well, you know, announced major budget cuts. And that's going to include, unfortunately, cuts to employees. Right. Um, and so one, one interesting thing that we saw late in the week was from Oxy, uh, who is you know, also announced a major cut to their budget. But one thing they're doing is rather than lay off so many employees, they're actually reducing pay by up to 30% for, yeah. for for their existing employees and really slashing the pay of their senior executives dramatically. 
in order to try to not lose employees, to retain as many of the employees as they can. And, you know, David, uh, that being said, it's a great opportunity for some of the other operators to really see maybe this is a solution for you guys, too. When we come back from break, I want to get back on the topic of how energy companies are responding to these low, low prices. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade healthcare, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here and neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, before the break, we were talking about Oxy and how they responded instead of laying off, they they opted to start reducing executive pay and salaries as to save jobs. Obviously, any collapse in price is going to lead to actions and in companies uh, impacting them uh, or the whole energy industry in these companies. Um, are there any other areas of uh, energy companies that are doing something uh, that is pretty dynamic or something that we should be paying sure. attention to? Go ahead. Yeah, one great example there is Halliburton. Um, the furloughs, right? Right, furloughs rather than layoffs, 3,500 of their Houston employees, um, which which makes a lot of sense. So what's going to happen with those employees is they're going to work one week on and, and have one week off. They're going to get paid only for the time they're working because they're mostly hourly employees, but the company is going to be able to retain them as employees and the company is going to continue to fund full health care and other benefits to those employees. So, because, and, and it makes so much sense to do it that way because these companies, when they lay people off, particularly in the service side of the business, you know, those employees go out and look for jobs elsewhere. And, and most of them don't want to come back to, to a company that has laid them off completely. And so you end up with this cycle of having to go find new employees and retrain them, you know, train new employees to do these complex jobs out in the oil field. So uh, that's a very creative solution, you know, and, and every company is going to be as, as thoughtful and innovative as they can be in circumstances like this, uh, you know, and, and trying to find better ways to do this than just straight laying people off. 
So it was good to see those those uh, approaches by Halliburton and Austin. So, David, we're going to see, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about the huge budget cuts. What are yeah. some of the downstream impacts there when we talk about restarting or reactivating uh, the drilling rigs? Um, and, yeah. you know, does this lead similar to similar actions in the service industry side as well? It really does, you know, and, and that is one thing we're already seeing is a, a very significant reduction in in the number of, of rigs, in the rig count. It's it's already gone down more than 5% in the month of, month of March. You're going to see that rig count begin dropping uh, more rapidly than that in the, over the next two to three months. I expect it to be cut in half by midsummer. And, and of course, you know, with every drilling rig supports, 50 to 70 jobs in the oil field. So every rig that goes away, you know, you don't have that income source to support those employees anymore. And so that's going, you know, it, it, it goes from, you know, the layoffs and the reductions, you know, they start, it always starts with the upstream businesses, the drillers, the producers, right. and then it goes to, to the service companies, you know, get hit because of the budget reductions among the upstream companies, and then it hits the midstream companies as production goes down. Right. And and it flows, as you mentioned in the last segment, it flows all the way down to the ports and the refiners. Um, as you, you have low, lower global demand uh, for crude oil, so there's less reason to export oil to foreign countries, and that means less business at the Port of Corpus Christi and the other ports. And so it just it just it all flows downstream. It all sure does. And you know, since it, we've had such you know good years, I know the Port of Corpus Christi is very, very, very good to the uh, community in Corpus Christi. In my discussion with them yesterday, uh, Omar Garcia is that they look they're seeing that there's going to be a twenty percent reduction uh, of income. And while that's not bad, you know where it does affect is all the charitable things that they were doing all year long for the community. That's probably where. It impacts the community. So, you know, it is not a good thing for us to be in this cycle. Um, it isn't just affecting oil and gas. It's going to affect the state of Texas. It's going to affect uh, what we raise in the way of the Rainy Day Fund. It's also going to affect community programs and social outreach. When we get back from break, David, I want to talk about the Texas Railroad Commission because there are things that they have that they might want to use to try to help us right now. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study.
And we're back. You're listening to In Lowell Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shale Magazine. David, before the break, we were talking about the port and how it's affecting the community and lower prices. Let's switch gears a little bit. You know, Texas oil and gas is so vital to us for many, many reasons. Um, but the Texas Railroad Commission, their agency, their regulatory agency, do they have something that they can do to help the situation? Sure they do, yes. Um, uh, and, of course, it's they have regulatory tools. Uh, the commission has always had the, the ability to to enforce production limits on a well-by-well basis. They call it proration and allowables, which, uh, you know, the, the commission has the regulatory authority to establish allowable number of barrels of production for every well in the state of Texas. Now, that's a very difficult and com- complicated process to go through. Uh, but, you know, Commissioner Sitton wrote an op-ed in Bloomberg right. uh, last week uh, in which he talked about the fact that the Railroad Commission does have that authority and, and you know, talked about the possibility of, of, of potentially implementing that kind of limit on, on production here in the state of Texas uh, in conjunction with actions by international players like Russia and Saudi Arabia and OPEC. Uh, because, you know, you don't want to take, for Texas to take an action like that, to reduce its own production artificially, to control it that way, without all the other actors around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world, taking similar actions. You know, the reality is that here in the United States, the, the states with the biggest oil production, the states of North Dakota, uh, the state of Oklahoma, Wyoming, New Mexico, all have similar authority to the Texas Railroad Commission to limit production. Now, I don't think Alaska does, but those states in the lower 48 that are the biggest oil producers have similar authority. So they could, theoretically, all those regulators could agree to to implement those kinds of limits on production in order to try to soak up some of that glut that's on the market here in the U.S. by reducing our own production here in this country that way. But, of course, you would only want to do that if the Saudis and the Russians agree to take a similar action, maybe re-implement that OPEC plus agreement uh, in order to try to soak up that enormous glut and, and get back to a healthier price level sometime in the near future. So that's, that's one thing the commission could do. Uh, in this particular circumstance. And, you know, we're going to come back to Commissioner Sinton because he, uh, you know, does our energy minutes. He's a true uh, energy expert. But before we get into that, I remember some time back, Harold Hamm was the keynote at TIPRO. And he discussed mm-hmm. this very topic of saying somewhere, you know, North America producers have got to understand that we just can't keep filling the pipeline. Um because it's to our own disadvantage in the long run. And I look back now and I'm like, not only was he right on the money, but he, when he said, when they said, how do we monitor this? Or how do we make this change? And it was, it's impossible unless they come to the table. But the, you know, Railroad Commission also, and should have probably been having this discussion with the operators and saying, look, this somewhere this really ends up bad for all of us. Maybe we want to take a comprehensive approach right now. Um, And so let's go back to Commissioner Sinton because he has been invited to actually the next OPEC ministers meeting. And and my question is, what do you think he's going to accomplish there? 
Well, if nothing else, you can share information and help educate the, the OPEC countries on on the fact that the United States, you know, other than this authority we just talked about with the state regulators, the, the federal government in the United States doesn't really have any authority at all to limit our own oil production like all of those countries that are members of OPEC do. Right. You know, those are virtually all state-owned oil companies or state-controlled oil companies. And and so it's a different world here in the United States. Uh, yes, I, we realize that Saudi Arabia and Russia are upset that the U.S. shale industry has grown so dramatically in the recent few years and taken over such a large part of market share. But at the same time, there just hasn't been any any way for, for the national government here in the United States to control that growth. And, and that's something that it has appeared to me anyway that those countries seem not to really understand about the United States and its industry. So if nothing else, the information sharing that can go on. And, and, and another thing, too, is that the United States, uh, the president just appointed uh, an ambassador, a special envoy to Russia, um, to also go over there and be there at the same time to engage in discussions with those OPEC countries about what, what can we all do together to try to calm these markets and get back to a more healthy situation for everyone. And and so for, for Commissioner Sitton to be out there at the same time, I, I think is, is very useful. And, and I wish, frankly, more of the, the state regulators could be there as well to engage in those kinds of uh, discussions because it's going to take to do something like that. It's going to, as I mentioned before, it's going to take everyone being willing to engage in some sort of a comprehensive approach to this issue. I couldn't agree with you more. It's honestly a a matter of look together. We can all rise together. All boats are going to rise together. We work together or we're all going to fall together. And it's good to see that um, President Trump, the federal government, is is trying to find new ways and ways of trying to engage discussion on a global scale because obviously um, what we've been doing in the past has not really been working so well especially you know (laughs) in considering right now with the coronavirus and everyone is stuck at home so there's like really very little use worldwide of this commodity so it's just adding 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 to uh, the misery if you will and um, so Hopefully there's uh, some real engagement there. And I just don't think that they could have picked a better person than Commissioner Sitton. It's, uh, he's so talented in uh, being an engineer, and, and, and we were very fortunate to have him at the Texas Railroad Commission for as long as, as we have had him. And I look for him to do big things when he leaves the commission. When we get back from break, David, I want to talk about the stimulus bill and things that might be affecting the oil and gas industry in the stimulus bill. But we do have to get ready for break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the -the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. Hey, you. 
Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, before the break, we talked about the oil and gas industry. Would it be included in the stimulus bill that was passed uh, this week? And the low interest loans uh, that are contained in this bill, how does the industry apply for it? Well, uh, yeah, there's a process to apply for those loans. They don't really, I think, uh, that particular aspect of the bill isn't really going to be so helpful to the to the oil and gas industry. Those are loans that eventually have to be repaid, and, and we have a situation here where these companies are, are going to be non-profitable uh, if this becomes a long-term deal, and so the more debt you take on is not really helpful. There is a lot of help in that bill for the employees who are being laid off in terms of enhanced unemployment benefits, which is a good thing and a positive that will hopefully tide uh, a lot of these people over until they can find other jobs. Uh, but, but you know, otherwise, there's not really, I don't think, a lot in that bill. There is more on, on the announcements by the Federal Reserve to inject uh, trillions of dollars of liquidity into the market to, that will help uh, these companies, you know, find investment, more investors willing to support their business during these tough times. I think that's very important. But the bill itself doesn't really have a lot in it for the oil and gas industry. Okay. Let's switch gears and talk about the administration, their plan to uh, fill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, with oil since the prices are so low. There was a lot of chatter on uh, Facebook about this. Uh, Will it have an impact? And if so, how large? Uh, It'll have some impact. It's a great idea. Let me just say up front, it's a great idea. You always want to, in any business endeavor, you want to buy low and sell high. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was had been a plan to actually sell oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve this month, uh, which was insane at these prices. So the plan to actually fill the reserve back up, and I think there's uh, uh, about 100, uh, somewhere between 100 and 150 million barrels of capacity uh, that can be filled into the reserve that will take some of the glut of the oil off the market. Uh, so that's a positive, but it's it's a small impact just in the context of this giant daily glut that we have. Um, but it's a great idea, and I'm glad they're doing it, and it's absolutely something that needs to be done. You know, it's the little bites of the apple that you yeah. finally eat the whole apple. Let's talk about President Trump as well. Um, now, he is also having talks with, with Saudi Arabia 
And uh, there's even a proposal being floated for the U.S. to somehow form a new cartel with Saudi Arabia and some of the other yep. OPEC countries. So how feasible is that? And uh, where do you see that going? You know, it, that's such an interesting idea because, you know, with our antitrust laws in this country, it's, it's actually illegal for the companies themselves to, to get together to limit production, okay? The regulators can do it if the regulators want to do it. The companies themselves, because they're corporations subject to antitrust laws, simply cannot do that. They cannot do anything uh, band together in any way that would, you know, try to control the price of their commodity. And so uh, I did see those reports, you know, and the administration, uh, the president apparently has had a discussion with the Saudis about it. Um, how that would work is, is kind of a mystery. You would have to somehow either have the federal government order companies through some authority that I'm not aware of uh, to artificially reduce their production and give them some kind of an exemption from those antitrust laws <laughs> in order to coordinate that activity among themselves. And, and so that's, um, you know, I mean, it would be a great thing, frankly, in this particular situation if you could make that happen. But it seems to me that you would almost need an act of Congress, one house of which is dominated by a party that doesn't like this industry, mm-hmm. to to act to exempt us temporarily from antitrust laws. And I just, it, it's just really hard for me to see how that works. Maybe after November, when we see a whole bunch of Republicans coming in, uh, it might be an opportunity. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of feel that it always seems like it's them against us. And shale in exploration is, is, you know, what, 11, 10 years old, 11 years old. And it, it probably won't go anywhere. So why aren't yeah. we having – this is a global commodity – and surely there has to be a solution with the largest countries providing this, that they have a way of coming together. But when you have OPEC, OPEC Plus, and then you have us, it seems like it, it's a little strange that they're not all at the table together trying to figure out best practices it, it as is. a country. I mean, as, a, as, a, I as the world. You, yeah. yeah, and it's a shame that politics even, even comes into this during a national crisis like we're in, right? Oh, yes. But we saw that with the stimulus bill. Oh, yeah. Saw, saw, you know, there was an agreement on Sunday that had been all ironed out. And then, unfortunately, Speaker Pelosi flies back into Washington and kills the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, for several days, just uh, just because she wanted to pile a bunch of stuff in there that had nothing to do with coronavirus. Um, and, and, and so, unfortunately, that's always going to be an aspect of what we're doing as long as we have leaders like her in power. Um, and, and even in a national crisis, here you have one of the most vital industries to the health of our country's economy, uh, and we can't even trust our politicians in Washington to to put politics aside for even one day yep. in order to, to try to help uh, an industry that is in a, probably the biggest crisis it's ever had in modern times. And, you know— Hints to me saying earlier in November when we have a whole bunch of Republicans coming in and it's just you look at the polls and you look at the America, the temperature of the American people and the, the people that are being hurt the most is actually, I would think, the Democrats' constituents. And they didn't want to see green. Now's not the time to talk about greenhouse deals and all this other 
pork stuff that was in there, really what they needed was to see their elected officials really advocating for the American people and getting it. People are scared. People have, you know, we've never been through this in our lifetime. What they needed was reassurance, and they needed to see their government working for them, not their pork projects. And I think that when we go to the polls in November, you're going to see that the American people are going to remember who is really, truly advocating for them every day. And we see President Trump on the TV every day trying to keep us informed of all the stuff that's happening. And there are some good elected officials out there, too, David. But by and far, this stimulus bill was a real eye opener, I think, for a lot of people that was great because you're forced to be home and you're forced to watch what when you go to work and we watch all this stuff going on you know you and I because it's our jobs but now they're home and they're watching it (laughs) and they're seeing yeah we've been trying to warn you about these people (laughs) and how we got positive out of all this is so many more millions of Americans are actually going to be a lot more politically aware than they were before all of this started and that, that can only be a positive thing. I agree with you, David. And that is all the time we have for this show. And I look forward to having you on next week when we'll be talking again more coronavirus, oil prices falling, and of course, everything oil and gas that's going on. Thank you for listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.